Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Upside Down, a verse-by-verse study of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Here's Pastor Nick. People were trying to do in Thessalonica. And so Paul is eager to defend himself, not because he's so offended by these people saying these things about him, but because he doesn't want these people to succeed in discrediting the gospel by saying these things about him. Now, this is because Paul understood, as he says in verse four, he understood that he had been entrusted with something. He had been entrusted by God with the message of the gospel. What an incredible honor to be entrusted by God with this message, this treasure. But it's also an incredible calling, an incredible responsibility to carry the gospel to the world, to represent the gospel in the world. See, the gospel is the good news about what God has done for you in order to save you because he loves you. He sent Jesus to live and to die and to defeat sin and death in order to remove the barriers that stood between you and God so you can be forgiven of your sins and have a relationship with God and life everlasting. And Paul had been entrusted with this message, this incredible treasure of the gospel it had been placed in his care for this time in this place. And so when Paul heard that these people in Thessalonica were saying these things about him, he wanted to write immediately and say, hey, I need to refute these claims. Why? Because I do not want these people to succeed in bringing the gospel into question or bringing the gospel into disrepute. The gospel message, you can think of it like a baton in a relay race. You ever watched or participated in a relay race, right? Somebody hands off the baton. Somebody else takes the baton. They run with it. And when their run is done, they hand it off to the next person who takes it and runs with it. And in a way, every generation since Jesus has been handed this baton of the gospel and charged with taking it and running with it and being faithful with it. And guys, let me just remind you, Now is our turn. That baton has been handed to us, right? It's been given to us. And what a great privilege that is, but also what a great calling and what a great responsibility. Just like Paul, we have been entrusted with the gospel for this time and for this place. And the question is, what will we do with it? How will we steward it well? Will we be faithful to share it, to spread it? Will we represent it well? See, here's the deal. Paul cared about his reputation because he knew that his reputation could either help or hurt the cause of the gospel. Let me say that again. Paul cared about his reputation because he knew that his reputation could either hurt or help the cause of the gospel. And guys, do you know that that's true of you as well? Do you know that your reputation matters? Why? Because you have been entrusted. If you're a believer, you've been entrusted with the gospel. And therefore, your reputation, your character, your integrity, or lack thereof, can either help or hinder this cause, this mission of the gospel. So Paul the Apostle, he actually did something which might be considered audacious. You know what he did? He, he came and he said, Don't, he didn't just say, follow Jesus and imitate Jesus. He took it one step further and he said, you know what? Yes, follow Jesus. But you know what else? 
imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, Paul put himself forward as a role model that people could follow. Paul didn't just say, don't look at me, look at Jesus. No, he said, yes, look at Jesus. And you can also look at my life. Why? Because the power of Jesus is at work in my life. It is real in my life. Paul was comfortable with the idea of other people following his example. And that's a very worthy goal for any Christian to have. What was the example that Paul lived out? Well, we're going to look at that next, our next point. But before we move on, let me just close out this thought by saying this. Friends, the gospel is for you, but it's not only for you, right? The gospel is for you, but it's not only for you. Jesus died for you, but he didn't die only for you. Well, what it means to be a Christian, it means to be a person who is both called in and called out. Called in and called out. To be a Christian means that God has called you in to a relationship with him. And whenever God calls you in, he also calls you out, right? It means that you're also called out by God to be part of his mission in the world. God calls us in, but he never calls us in without also calling us out. So to be a Christian is to be somebody who has been entrusted with the gospel, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of others. So if we have been entrusted with the gospel, which we have, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? How will the knowledge of that calling change the way that we live? That's the question. Now let's talk about a life worth imitating. Here in these verses, Paul speaks about three areas of his life that are worthy of imitation. Three areas of his life that are worthy of imitation. Here's what those areas are. Number one, his priorities. Number two, his actions. And number three, his motives. So his priorities, his actions, and his motives. Let's talk about his priorities. Paul understood that his life was not primarily about himself, but it was about God. Life is not primarily about me. It's about God. That's the priority that Paul had. Paul says in verse one, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. The NIRV translation puts it this way. Our coming to you was not a failure. Another translation says this, when we came to you, we were not wasting our time. Now, why would Paul say that? Well, obviously, there were some people who would look at Paul's time in Thessalonica, his ministry there, and they would say that was a failure. That was in vain. That was a waste of time. Why? Well, because Paul clearly and obviously intended to stay in Thessalonica a lot longer than he did. He had to leave prematurely. He clearly intended to stay there more than just three weekends, right? But things did not go the way that Paul planned. And anytime something in your life doesn't go the way you planned, it can feel like a failure. It can feel as if all of your hard work was in vain, that everything you poured your time and energy and heart into was just a waste of time. But Paul says, no, no way, no way. It was not a waste of time. It was not a failure. It was not in vain. Sure, things did not go the way that I planned or hoped they would, but you need to understand my priorities, Paul says. You need to understand my fundamental priority in life is not to live for myself and to fulfill my dreams and my plans. My priority in life is to live my life for God and to fulfill his plans for my life. 
Notice what he says in verse 2. Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, and been, uh, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul's like, hey, look, if I wanted a quiet job, like I'd get a job in a cubicle, like doing data entry, right? Then I'd have a quiet life. But obviously I didn't sign up for that. If I wanted to be popular, then I'd get a job selling ice cream. But clearly that's not why I'm doing this, right? Obviously there's something driving Paul that would cause him to go from town to town, city to city, everywhere he goes, getting beat up, then going to the next city and getting beat up there. It's like that old cartoon, you know, Pinky and the Brain, right? Every day, right? The one mouse, Pinky, asks the brain, he says, what are we going to do today, brain? And brain says, the same thing we do every day. We're going to try to take over the world. But with Paul and Timothy and Silas, it was different. It was like, what are we going to do today? Well, the same thing we do every day. Preach the gospel, and then we'll get beat up. And then when they finally chase us out of town, we'll go to the next town, and then we'll preach the gospel there, and then those guys will beat us up, right? right the, the people who had opposed Paul, they clearly thought that they had succeeded in making his time in Thessalonica a failure, and Paul says, no way. It wasn't a failure. Look at verse four. He said, our goal is not to please man, but to please God. See, what Paul's saying is our priority. My priority is one thing, to be faithful, to do what God has called me to do. All the rest of the stuff, that's up to him. My priority is to be faithful, to do what he's called me to do. Paul understood that life is not primarily about himself, but about God. Paul realized that his life belonged to God, both by virtue of his creation and by virtue of his redemption. In other words, he understood that he had been made for God and he had been saved for God, right? Paul understood that God was not uh, in the world to serve his purposes. He was in the world to serve God's purposes. And we, we oftentimes get that mixed up in our minds, and it really can cause disastrous things in our lives, right? Sometimes we think about God as if he's our waiter or our servant or our assistant, right? Somebody whose job it is to help us accomplish our plans and goals in life, that God exists to make sure that we prosper and we're fulfilled and we get all the stuff that we want. And we get things backwards when we do that. See, Paul knew differently. Paul knew that God was not his co-pilot. He understood that God was his captain. Paul understood that he existed to serve God. God did not exist to serve him. And again, when we get mixed up about that, it causes problems in our lives. I, I challenge you to ask yourself this question. You ready? Here's the question. Do you worship God primarily because you find him useful, or do you worship God because you find him beautiful? Do you look at God and see him as useful to you, or do you look at God and worship him because you find him beautiful to you? You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 9.15 and 11 a.m. If you have missed any part of this message or past messages, you can find them all at besetfreeradio.com. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. There's a really big difference uh, depending on how you uh, answer that question. It will affect the way that you live in a major way. You see, if you pursue God only because you consider him useful to you, then what about when he isn't useful to you? 
right? What are you going to do when your plans differ from God's plans? See, when that happens, a lot of times uh, people will react by feeling as if God has betrayed them or let them down or, or God didn't hold up his end of the bargain because they didn't get what they wanted. And sometimes people will respond to that and they'll say, God, if you won't give me what I want, then what do I need you for anyway, right? Like, like I don't need you in my life anyway, then if you're not going to give me what I want. And they get mad at God. Right? The, the, only, uh, the other thing that happens when we put ourselves in the center of the universe, uh, in our own universe, right? Not only do we treat God in this way as if he exists to serve us, but we inevitably will treat other people that way. We'll treat other people as if they exist to serve us. We'll use them. Rather than serving them for their own good, we'll use them for our good. And if you do that, let me just tell you this, if you do that, if you put yourself in the center of your own universe, if you make your life so much about yourself, you know what will happen? You will choke on yourself. You will suffocate on yourself. Your life will shrink and become very small and increasingly insignificant. Because here's the thing, whether you realize it or not, you were made by God and you were made for God. And it's only when you get that priority straight that he doesn't exist for you, but your, your life, you exist for him. It's then that you will find joy and peace, that joy and peace in life that you desire. See, the irony of the self-centered life is that the more that you focus on yourself, the more you focus on what do I need to be happy, the more miserable you will be. See, you, we, we all tend to think that it'll work opposite, right? We, we have all these platitudes and sayings like, hey, what I need in order to be happy is I need other people to take care of me. What I need in order to be happy is to focus more on myself and my needs. Guys, that is a surefire recipe for misery and solitude. Proverbs 11, verse 25, I love what it says. It says, a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus is praying over his disciples at the end of the Last Supper before he goes off to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that prayer, he says this. He says, Father, I have so much joy. You've given me a mission, and I have accomplished that mission, and I have so much joy. And he said, you know, I want my disciples to also have my joy fulfilled in them. And then what he says is incredible. He says, so, in order that they might have my joy, I'm giving them my mission. The same mission you sent me on, now I send them. In other words, because I want them to have joy, I am giving them a mission, my mission. What Jesus is saying is that the secret to true and lasting joy is not living a comfortable, pampered life. No, the key to joy is having a mission. The key to joy is pouring your life out for something that is bigger than yourself, something that really matters beyond yourself. The key to joy is fulfilling God's purpose for your life. See, the first thing that, God, that Paul tells us about his life that he wants us to imitate is his priorities. He tells us that he exists for God, not the other way around. And having that priority shapes the way he defines his goals. It shapes the way he thinks about his circumstances, especially when things don't go according to plan. The next thing Paul talks about are his actions. In verse 7, he says, We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 
A nursing mother has to be one of the most selfless creatures in the entire world, right? They serve that baby day and night, uh, getting up in the middle of the night. The only thing that baby does, gives them in return is dirty diapers, and they keep on serving, right? And Paul is saying, you guys remember our actions? You know what we were like? We were like a nursing mother. We were selfless. We gave and gave and gave and asked nothing in return. He says in verse 8, we loved you so much, we didn't just give you the gospel, we gave you our very selves. We gave you our lives. Verse 9, he says, you remember, brothers, our labor. You remember our toil. We work night and day, so we might not be a burden to you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. See, Paul worked while he was there in Thessalonica, probably in his trade as a tent maker. So any accusations that Paul was uh, doing this to get rich, they were unfounded. They were ridiculous. He says in verse 10, he says, you are witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was among you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. That's what a good father does. Exhorts, encourages, charges their children to walk in a manner worthy of God. Again, Paul is speaking about his actions. He's talking about what he did among them. Paul served them physically, spiritually, and emotionally. When it comes to the topic of actions, it's been said, and interestingly so, it's been said this. Your actions are the true measure of who you really are. Your actions are the true measure of who you really are. Now, why? Well, here's why. Because according to experts, most of us have a distorted view of ourselves. We don't see ourselves clearly. And the reason we don't see ourselves clearly is because our brains tend to count our intentions as if they have actually happened when in fact they haven't. So when we think of ourselves, our self-image is not just built upon our actions, but upon uh our intentions, even if we haven't followed through on those intentions. And that leads to us having an unrealistic view of the kinds of people we actually are. So for example, you might say, I'm a very generous person, or I'm a very adventurous person. But for many people who, who might feel that way, many of them maybe have not actually done any adventurous things or generous things. Uh, but in their minds, they begin to think of themselves as that type of person, even though they haven't actually done those things. It's one of the ways that we uh, deceive ourselves, and it happens in both positive ways and in negative ways. But what experts say is that the best way to not deceive ourselves is to measure ourselves by what we do, not just by what we think about doing. Because here's the thing, if you have a good intention, but you don't act on that intention, then maybe you never really intended to do it at all. Maybe you did, but maybe you didn't. And Paul is saying, look, my love for you, it wasn't hypothetical. I didn't just think about doing these things. It was actual. It manifested itself in actual things that I actually did. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, John tells us, Little children, let us not love in talk or in word, or in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. That's the same idea. He's saying, let us not just talk about loving. Let us not just talk about being loving, but let us actually do these things in real actions. And that brings us to the, the third point, which is his motives. The third thing he wanted to be imitated was his motives. Paul understood that it's not just what you do that matters to God, but also why you do what you do that also matters to God. And it's possible to do good things even from a twisted motive. 
you know, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, he was kind of a downer in this area, right? Because he believed that nobody ever does anything from completely pure motives. He would say, anytime you do anything, the reason you do it is never completely pure, right? Either you're trying to give yourself an edge over somebody else or, or put them in your debt by doing something for you, or maybe you're just doing it to make yourself feel good, like to make yourself feel like you're a good person. Now, the people in Thessalonica were obviously questioning Paul's motives. Uh, they're saying there must be some real reason he's doing this. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. In verse 3, he says, our, our appeal doesn't spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Verse 5, he says, we weren't motivated by greed. Verse 6, he says, we didn't do it for glory or popularity. So what was Paul's motivation? Well, if you read this section, Paul makes it very clear that the reason he went there, his motivation for doing these things was two things. Love for God and love for people. Love for God and love for people. The love of God, right, is so powerful that it changes our motivations, right? In 1 John, we're told that we love because God first loved us. We love because he first loved us. The love of God is so powerful that it changes our, transforms our motivations. See, whereas every other religion in the world says this, it says, if you do these things, if you obey, then God will love you and accept you. The message of the gospel is completely and utterly different. The gospel message says this, God loves you and he accepts you in Christ. He has already done these things for you. Therefore, respond by obeying and doing these things. See, it's a completely backwards way. It's completely upside down. It's a completely different form of motivation. See, religion, uh, like a lot of our motivation, right? Uh, traditional religion tends to tap into these dark motives that Nietzsche talked about. Pride, fear, and shame. Pride, fear, and shame. But the gospel gives us a whole new motivation. See, in the gospel, we're not motivated by pride. When you motivate by pride, it's when you tell people, hey, you're better than this, or hey, you're better than those people who do these kinds of things. But in the gospel, we're not motivated by any sense of superiority over other people. Just the opposite. The gospel humbles us. It tells us that we're sinners who have fallen short of God's glory. Therefore, we have no right to look down on anybody else or consider ourselves ourselves better than them. So the gospel doesn't motivate with pride. It also doesn't motivate with fear because it tells us that perfect love, the love of God that he has towards us, casts out all fear. The, the fear of judgment has been removed in Jesus because he took our judgment that we deserve so that we could receive God's mercy. And the gospel doesn't motivate with shame either because our guilt, our shame has been removed. We've received a new identity free of guilt and shame. So how does the gospel motivate us? It motivates us through love. And there is no more powerful motivator in the world than love. People do radical, crazy things for love, right? Things that they would never do out of obligation. They would never do out of fear. Love causes people to cross oceans and run into burning buildings and sacrifice their lives willingly and, and freely because they want to. See, what the people of Thessalonica couldn't understand, the people who were outside of the church, they could not understand why Paul would do these things he did. All this sacrifice, all this struggle. What could cause someone to want to do all of this? And the answer is love. Paul wanted the Thessalonian Christians to know this and to imitate it. 
that their motivation in life in everything they do would not be pride or fear or shame, that it would be love for God and love for other people because we understand and we embrace what Jesus did for us. And when we do that, the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to our third and final point. Verse 12, Paul says this, we urged you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. The motivation for imitation is this, that Jesus has called us into his kingdom and into his glory. In Christ, we have been rescued and redeemed, forgiven and cleansed. And for the ages to come, we will experience his glory and joy and perfection forever. Everything that is wrong, will be turned upside down and made right forever. And the question is, how can we walk, how can we live in a manner that is worthy of a God who would do that for us? And there's only one answer, and that is this, by giving all that we are to him who gave all that he is for us. May we do that today. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for this message of the gospel. We thank you for this great truth. Lord, we see that as Paul preached it, he also lived it out. He lived his life as a response to it. Lord, may that be true of us as well. May we not only understand and comprehend the gospel, Lord, may it sink down deep into our hearts and our minds. May it change our motivations. Lord, may we not be motivated by pride or shame or fear, but by the true love of God that you have towards us that has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for anybody here today who does not yet know you, who hasn't stepped across that line and put down their yes and said, yes, I, I will walk with Jesus. I'll give him my life. Lord, I pray for anybody who's here today who does not know that love in that way that we have experienced it uh, by putting our faith and our trust in the gospel and entering into a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in them before they even leave this place today. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.